Welcome to Backlog Books. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I've been reading lately. My name is Kara. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for spoilers. So I have been reading the Terry Pratchett biography by Rob Wilkins, which has been very fun and engaging, at least for me, um, as like a huge Terry Pratchett fan. I'm I'm only like halfway through the book, I think. It's pretty long, but um but I've been enjoying it. I'm also continuing the Vorkosigan saga, which you'll get to hear about on this podcast in a couple episodes. But for now, let's get started. This time we are talking about Babel by R.F. Kuang. Here is the rather long summary. Robin Swift, orphaned by cholera in Canton, is brought to London by the mysterious Professor Lavelle. There he trains for years in Latin, ancient Greek, and Chinese, all in preparation for the day he'll enroll in Oxford University's prestigious Royal Institute of Translation, also known as Babel. Babel is the world's center of translation, and more importantly, of silverworking, the art of manifesting the meaning lost in translation through enchanted silver bars to magical effect. Silverworking has made the British Empire unparalleled in power, and Babel's research in foreign languages serves the empire's quest to colonize everything it encounters. Oxford, the city of dreaming spires, is a fairy tale for Robin, a utopia dedicated to the pursuit of knowledge. But knowledge serves power, and for Robin, a Chinese boy raised in Britain, serving Babel inevitably means betraying his motherland. As his studies progress, Robin finds himself caught between Babel and the shadowy Hermes Society, an organization dedicated to sabotaging the silverworking that supports imperial expansion. When Britain pursues an unjust war with China over silver and opium, Robin must decide. Can powerful institutions be changed from within, or does revolution always require violence? Babel, also known as the necessity of violence, also known as Babel, depending on how your pronunciation runs, was published in 2022. It has been lauded in many places as one of the best books of the year. Our author, Rebecca Kuang, immigrated from China as a child. She grew up in Texas. Shout out to Texas. She has earned a slew of degrees in literature and Chinese studies. According to her website, she is now pursuing a PhD in East Asian languages and literatures at Yale. Her first book, The Poppy War, was published in 2018. It was a Nebula Award nominee. The rest of the Poppy War trilogy, The Dragon Republic in 2019 and The Burning God in 2020, was also well received. I haven't read it because... It has been described as grimdark, and things that are described as grimdark are generally not for me. Babel is also a bit grim, in fairness, due to, you know, the themes, um, as we'll talk about. 
So I have a hard time convincing myself to write and talk about books if I've already seen a lot of people talk about it. I feel like I'm just adding unnecessary noise in a crowded room. And people have been talking about this book since it came out a year ago. It made its way onto a bunch of the, like, best of the year lists. But I'm also trying not to talk myself out of doing something just because other people have already done it. And besides, it's been like 10 months since this book was published, so so maybe everybody's forgotten about it and moved on to other things by now. It's fine. We're going to give it a go. And before I get too into it, I just want to mention that this book has footnotes, footnotes for days, and they were well done. Uh, They made sense and added to the story, unlike some people's footnotes. I am looking directly at Nevernight and making eye contact. Uh, And as I mentioned earlier, I'm a huge Terry Pratchett fan, so I'm a huge fan of footnotes. Now, this book is set in a world much like our own, save for a crucial difference. They've figured out a way to use silver and language to distort reality. By inscribing silver bars with words that have the same root word, and they have a similar but still distinct meaning, they can create an effect. So, an example from the book, to give you an idea. In Greek, karabos means crab, And from that root word, we get the word caravel, which is a kind of ship. So a silver bar with carabos and caravel inscribed on it, affixed to a fishing ship, that ship will find more crabs than a ship without the silver bar. It doesn't create more crabs, it just draws crabs to it. Silver is used for so, so many things, like making carriages faster and more stable, keeping a building's foundation stable, or preventing a gun from misfiring. Silver can even be used to heal the sick. In the 1820s, a young boy in Canton is rescued from a plague by a mysterious foreign professor who uses a bar of silver to heal him. The professor does not arrive in time to save the rest of the boy's family. Professor Lovell takes the boy back to England as a ward and makes him take on a new name, one that's easier for English speakers to say, and the boy chooses the name Robin Swift. The professor impresses upon Robin that his comfort and his life depend on one goal. Robin must learn languages and get into the Oxford Translation Institute, a place known as Babel. If Robin fails, Lavelle will cut him off and ship him back to Canton, where everyone Robin knows is dead. Robin's life, organized by the professor, revolves entirely around language. And he's alone. His only companions are his tutors, Professor Lavelle and the housekeeper. He studies Latin and Greek and Chinese, specifically Mandarin, I believe. I remember the professor telling Robin that he doesn't need to remember his native language of Cantonese because it's not important. The British Empire needs translators to make their silver work. 
Not just anyone can make a silver bar's magic happen. You must be fluent in both languages on the bar. Much of London, much of the empire, relies on silver, and by extension, relies on babble. As one might imagine, there's a bunch of stuff about linguistics in this book. Kwong is not herself a linguist, but she clearly did lots of research. And so in this world, there's the possibility that foreign words will become part of common English vernacular. I've been referring to this in my head as linguistic shift, but that's actually something else entirely. So for an example of what I mean, I can't find the right phrase for it. So imagine a silver bar has French and English on it and uses the gap in meaning to create change or influence. Okay. But then over time, people begin to use the French word for the same thing as the English word. Now there's not that big gap in translation, so the words are much closer in meaning and the silver bar begins to lose its potency. And I thought that was such a cool way to make magic happen. And like, it's always interesting when there's like consequences to your magic workings. That's not just like, Maybe you blow up the world if you cast a spell wrong. But in, like, the Serpent Gates duology, where using magic literally, like, drains away your life and makes you weak, so you have to use magic to build your bones up again. But of course you're using magic and that weakens you anyway. That's the same kind of thing here, where as a consequence of language evolving over time, they have to keep studying and researching and changing things on the silver bars. I just thought it was neat. So Robin, after years of study and isolation, makes it to Babel and finally has friends, bless his heart. He's been so isolated by Lavelle that meeting his yearmates is such a surprise and a gift. Here at last are people who understand him because they have had similar experiences, taken from their homes and raised to provide value to the British Empire. For a while in Oxford, Robin has everything he ever dreamed of. He has a coveted position at Babel, he has a cohort, all his needs are taken care of, and he has the opportunity to be part of something that is highly valued in a world that considers everything else about him inferior. And then Robin runs into his half-brother Griffin, who used to be at Babel but faked his own death. Griffin has been working to undermine the silver industry and the bloated empire that relies on it. Griffin's whole existence shines a light on what Robin has been hiding from himself. The truth of the violence of the institute he's been raised to love and adore and the empire that relies on it. Robin and his yearmates wrestle with wanting to belong at Babel in England, loving their work and the power their languages give them, while knowing that the whole system is geared to both exclude and exploit them. The institute needs them, needs their fluency in their native languages, but wants them to conform absolutely. 
they must put the empire above all else, must agree with their white colleagues that every person from their home countries are inherently lazy and cowardly. The book obviously really focuses on Robin and on the situation in China. The British Empire is exporting opium to China and is about to start a war over the fact that China is trying to stop them from doing that. For more about that, please look up The Opium Wars. There's also this plot line about workers' strikes, because the more silver gets into different industries and, like, different innovations are made, silver-powered machines put people out of work instead of those people being able to keep working or retire, all the money goes into the pockets of the rich, and the workers are left out in the cold and told to simply go get another job. In a fun turn of events, Babel was published just a few months before the HarperCollins strike last year. Um, I will include an article about that in the show notes in case you missed it. And one of the things that Kwong is able to do with her cast of characters, because you have Robin and his three year mates, is you get to have four different perspectives and like opinions on these issues. Um, and that was something that I think she did well. It brought a lot of depth to the story. So before graduating, Robin and his cohort are taken on a trip to Canton, where Robin must act as a translator for a British representative who thinks of Chinese people as less than human and does not bother to hide this opinion. In the city of his birth, surrounded by things and places and people that are almost familiar, Robin cannot keep ignoring what Babel is supporting and what it does. He can't ignore that he's a tool to be used in oppression, in conquering and exploiting, and the Institute and the Empire expect him to be grateful for what they've done to him, because they see it as a great favor to steal someone from their homeland and make them forget who they used to be. On their return to Oxford, Robin and his fellow students decide to act. They connect with Griffin's Hermes Society and with the other foreign translators at Babel. Suddenly, the Tower of Babel, the biggest source of silver working in England, the thing England relies on completely, goes on strike. Around Oxford, around London, around England, around the Empire, silver loses its potency. It begins to decay as the magic isn't renewed. And this is what they have built everything on. People can't drive their carriages anymore. Buildings start to crumble because the, the materials are too heavy for what the actual foundation is built to support. It relied entirely on silver. But will it be enough? Will holding the tower and refusing to work, will it be enough to make their voices heard in a country that has so thoroughly convinced itself of its own importance and of the inferiority of everyone else. 
so overall, this was a good book. I enjoyed reading it. The linguistics were like a fun addition to a book that dealt with colonization and racism and characters being beaten down until they no longer know themselves. It also is not what I would call a happy ending, uh, if that's something you're after. But it was a satisfying end in that, like, it made sense with the story that was told that they wouldn't just be able to effect change immediately. Um, it was a little repetitive. I think some of the arguments repeated themselves. It wasn't overwhelmingly so, like, it wasn't extremely annoying. It was just enough that I noticed. Um, like I kind of touched on earlier, characters and their opinions weren't a monolith. Each character had their own opinion on, on their situation and what they should do based on their own experiences. Uh, Kwong explored many angles of colonization and empire and racism with care and consideration. I can see why some reviewers considered it to be preachy. Um, it's not a particularly subtle book in what it is trying to get across about, like, empires are, by their mere existence, predatory, and, like, the idea that colonization brings civilization is wrong. <laughs> and, like, mostly what empire does is it exploits and takes and takes and takes from places that they conquer and then, like, try to, um, try to remove any uniqueness. They try to make everything uniform and conforming. Um, and I sort of touched on this a little bit, but I liked Kwong's writing style. Um, I don't think I'll read the Poppy War trilogy anytime soon, based on what I've heard about how depressing it is. Uh, and you know me, I do generally prefer, uh, happier books. And I don't think Kwong has any plans to be less intense in the future. And honestly, good for her. I will definitely consider any book that she publishes next. I might decide not to read it, uh, just for my emotions. <laughs> and if you want more media like this. I have two suggestions that focus on two different things. So for magical Victorian England, I'd have to say Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clarke. And for colonization, I'd say the word for world is forest by Ursula K. Le Guin. Join me next time to hear about My Soul to Keep by Tanana Reeve Du. As always, you can contact me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, the best way to do that right now is to rate and review it or just share it with a friend. And a huge thank you to everyone who has already reviewed it. You are all very sweet. Um, you can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast or at BacklogBooks.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at JosephMcDade.com. 
Thank you for spending this time with me, and I hope to talk with you again soon.